Hello, hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of the Chronically Fulfilled Life podcast. I'm your host, Alyssa Love, and this episode is actually super special to me, not just because it's the first episode that goes live, but because it's actually a deep dive into my own personal journey living with chronic illness. That's right. I'm taking you back over a decade to give you the real story and all the raw, vulnerable details of how I knew something was wrong, but kept getting gaslit by doctors, went through what it felt like endless treatments that had more side effects than gave me relief, and how I finally got the right diagnosis because I learned how to advocate for myself in the exam room. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode and it helps you feel less alone. I loved recording it and I would love to know how it helped you. So let's dive in. Before we dive into today's episode, it's important to note that the content we discuss is based on personal experiences and we want to emphasize that this is not medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare professionals for personalized guidance on your unique journey. I'm your host and chronic illness bestie, Alyssa Love, And this show is dedicated to honest and realistic conversations about building a life you love while navigating the challenges of chronic illness. There is no room for toxic positivity here. And I promise you, I will never claim to have a magic cure for your chronic illness. But what I will do is share my real life stories, provide genuine strategies, solutions, and invite some incredible guests to support you along your journey. You're listening to the Chronically Fulfilled Life Podcast. Everything really started and my story really began Easter over a decade ago. So I can still remember clear as day, which let me tell you, with brain fog is not easy for me. We were hosting, my then boyfriend and I, we were hosting Easter dinner for his family. Okay, so Easter dinner in our new place. This is the first time we had everybody over for dinner, and I wanted everything to be perfect. I wanted the tablescape, the food, the drinks, what I was wearing. Everything needed to be perfect. Think Martha Stewart. Think Lauren Conrad. That was the energy. Now, I have had pain for a couple of days. But I figured it was just cramps or something because, as you know, as women, we are told that period pain is normal. When you're in your period and you have pain, it's just a normal thing you have to deal with. So I would always just kind of push it to the side and push away what I was going through. And that day, I did just that. So that day, as I was going on, putting food on the table, getting people glasses of wine, all of a sudden, my pain started to get worse. And it got worse to the point where I was in the corner of our kitchen. We had a sink. And where the sink was, I was grasping onto the counter, kneeled on the ground because I was in that much pain that I couldn't stand. But this pain, it was not stopping me from doing Easter dinner. No, it wasn't. And I remember my then boyfriend came in and said, are you okay? Like, you're clearly not okay, but are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm fine. So then after the dinner, we got everything done, everything. His grandmother actually said to him, you need to take her to the hospital. 
Like, when we all leave, she's not going to go when I'm here. You need to take her to the hospital. So finally, I got coerced in. I went to the hospital, which was the best decision, and I should have gone. So that's fine. We go to the hospital and do the whole thing. I mean, who wants to be on the hospital in general, not let alone a holiday? But I'm there. We're waiting. We go through. You know, they give you the IV. They sit you there. They ask you questions. And they basically cleared me and said to go home and come back the next day for an ultrasound. So that's fine. I go home and I'm like, okay, tomorrow drop me off at the hospital. I'll call you when I'm done and then we'll go do groceries or whatever. Because they basically just told me, you just need to see an ultrasound. That's it. They were acting like it was no big deal. I mean, they sent me home. So I go back the next day at the ultrasound. And I do the ultrasound. Then you have to go back and wait in the waiting room for the results. That's fine. I'm sitting there. It's taking forever, it feels like. They finally call me in. And when they called me in, they asked me to get back into the gown. They're like, oh, we just have to check a couple things. And I was like, oh, okay. Kind of weird, but sure. So I do that. And then all of a sudden, like people started surrounding the bed. There wasn't just one doctor. There was multiple. And they start talking to me about a torted ovary. And I was like, what? They said, my ovary is torted. So they thought. So they said, we need to get you into surgery immediately. This hospital, we do not do surgeries at. So we need to send you to another hospital which was on the other side of the city. And they said, you should not be driving. You're in so much pain. Like, we are sending you by ambulance. And I was just like, what? Like I come from an an ultrasound and then all of a sudden I'm in an ambulance going. So as they're kind of talking amongst each other, I'm texting on my phone and I was like, hey, so I'm going by ambulance to the other hospital. By the way, can you call my mom now? Because when I went the night before, I had said, we are not telling anybody I'm here, raising any alarm bells until I something there is something to be concerned about. So I said, oh, well, they said I need surgery. So kind of a big deal. So I said, call my mom. That's fine. So I'm in the ambulance. I'm going there. And so many thoughts went through my head. It was the weirdest thing because I'm like, what is happening? I really don't know. And for some reason inside of me, I wasn't very scared. I was just more confused. That's fine. We get to the other hospital. They make you fill all all your paperwork. So I'm filling it all out. At this time, my mom, my dad, everybody's there. Got the whole crew. So lots of opinions, as you can imagine. So everybody's there. I go into surgery. That's fine. I come out of surgery. So the doctor comes and the doctor gives like the debrief, right? Okay, so what? This is what happened. This is what's going on. So they said, your ovary wasn't actually torted. And torted, I should say, is they thought what was happening was my ovary was twisted and they couldn't see it on an ultrasound and that's why they were concerned. But really what my ovary was doing was it was hanging up in my rib cage. So it was actually so far up in my rib cage, they couldn't see it in an ultrasound. And my fallopian tube was wrapped around my rib cage on top. So they're sharing this. So they were able to kind of unstuck the fallopian tube And the ovary kind of moved a little bit, but still isn't really where it should be. And then for the kicker, the next sentence is something that would affect the rest of my life that I didn't know at this point would, 
but it definitely has. And they said, you have stage four endometriosis. And we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, endo what? We were confused. At that time, keep in mind, this was over a decade ago. Nobody knew what endometriosis was. It was just like them telling it to me was like a foreign language. I had no idea what they were talking about. And they didn't really tell me much about it. They just said, okay, we're going to put you on. I believe it was some birth control to do it and then come back for your follow-up. So I'm in the hospital recovering and I'm kind of out of it. So I'm not really concerned about anything. The next day, the residents came in and one resident was kind of, she was taking control. She was like, looked like she was the head person. She wanted to be in charge. So she comes over to me and she's talking at this time, my mom and the boyfriend are there. And she said, okay, so endometriosis is what you have. So basically this is going to affect your fertility greatly. Going to be a very low chance of fertility and kept talking about fertility. And in my head, I didn't even know the two were correlated because I had no idea what this endometriosis was. All I knew was that it was in my body and we don't like it. Shouldn't be there. So she said all of this. I could see my mom. My mom was like restraining herself because she was like, okay, this poor girl, she's like 20 coming out of surgery. Now you're going to throw all of this on her. And at that time, which hindsight's 2020 and you don't look back on, but there also was no mental health support given. So you're going to go and tell somebody you have a chronic illness. You're going to tell them that they basically, they're for, they have no fertility is how she worded it. And they're going to experience chronic pain forever because there's no cure, right? And there's no mental health support. There's no support whatsoever other than here is a pill. But as well, at that time, I was still under the impression that You go to the doctor and the doctor tells you what to do. The doctor is a superhero, right? A doctor does what you need them to do for you. And don't get me wrong. Doctors are superheroes and there are many of them that have the patient's best interest in mind. But you have to remember they are dealing with hundreds of patients a day, a month, a week, whatever it looks like. So you still need to be your best advocate. And this is a lesson I learned later in my journey, but I hope anybody listening realizes that you being your own advocate is going to serve you so well on your journey and really help you. So from that point on, I go home, I'm recovering, I'm trying to figure out, okay, so what do I do now? It's after surgery, so I'm kind of feeling weird because of the surgery, and I didn't really know how much this would affect me. I kind of just brushed it under a rug. Okay, I have this thing, cool, whatever. And I went through the next probably almost decade where, one, I didn't tell anybody, really. I just kind of hit it. If people asked me what was wrong, I just be like, I'm good. Oh, my God, I'm so good. How are you? What's going on? And it was like, I didn't, it didn't exist. I would push through the pain. I would just do it. There were countless emergency room visits because the pain was so unbearable. I went on every drug you can think of. They had me on birth control. They had me on IUDs. They had me on medical menopause like Lupron or Alyssa. Not to mention the physical toll this took on my body. It took the toll of very much affecting my mental health. And I felt almost like a shell of who I was. It was not fun. And it didn't really help. Not to mention it cost a lot of freaking money. It was very expensive to go through all of this. 
with basically no return on my investment. I just had bad mental health and was more in pain than I was before. So I continued to do this. And as that was happening, I was being passed from specialist to specialist to specialist. And they just kept passing me on because they felt I was at the point where they could not help me and I needed to be moved up the tier. So I finally got to apparently the guy, an endometriosis surgeon, which is actually an OBGYN because in Ontario, we have such a lack of endometriosis specialists and endo events, an incredible organization actually did a petition earlier this year to help get more funding for endometriosis, for endometriosis care, for diagnosis. Because in my situation, I was diagnosed very early. So I thought because it was an emergency surgery for something else and they found it. Whereas typically it takes seven to 10 years for someone to be diagnosed. Um, As well as that is looking into our post-secondary education and our medical schools having research and funding going into training for this. So shout out to them. They are absolutely incredible. And this is why we need petitions like this because there is not enough care. So anyways, I go in, I go see him. And at this point, I was at my wit's end. I felt so much in survival mode. I went into that appointment and I just started bawling. I literally just started bawling. He didn't even say anything yet. I just said, I can't do this. I can't live every day like this. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live? I'm in so much pain every day. It's affecting my work life, my friendships, my relationships, my family, like everything it's affecting. Because if I could be curled up in the corner, just bawling all day, I would, because that is basically the state that I'm in. So then at that point, he had done, he did a laparoscopic surgery. So he did that. And at this time, I feel like that was probably my second or third, probably, that I had had. And then he basically said, okay, we need to look at other options. So either this is something you're going to have to do every three to six months or looking at something more serious like a hysterectomy for this. Now, disclaimer, at this time, I was not doing enough of my own research and researching other things, but I want to make it very, very clear. A hysterectomy is not a cure for endometriosis. Just so everybody knows. So if you're listening, it is not a cure for endometriosis. But at that time, there was other things going on in my body. So it was looked at to be something that would drastically help me and help my functioning of life and to take me out of survival mode. Because at that point, I literally would do anything. You want me to run around? dance in circles and balance something on my head, I will try anything to not be in this pain. So we do that. Now I go in. Typically at this point, I have brought somebody with me to all appointments. I highly encourage you, if you can bring a support person to your appointments, it makes the world of a difference, not only to help you advocate for yourself, but if you get to the point where I was, where you are unable to function, you are able to have that person be with you for that support. So this appointment, for some reason, I went by myself. So I'm in there alone. He comes in, he's talking. This is kind of the appointment where he's going to say, yes, we're doing a hysterectomy or no. And at this point, I was team hysterectomy. I was like, get it out of me. It's going to help me get it out. And this physician, he looks at me and he said, well, you're married. And I said, yes, I'm married to my now husband, which 
our relationship and how I tell him about my chronic illness. We're going to dive into that in a moment. So my now husband, he's saying that. He's and I'm like, yeah. And I was like, he's super supportive. Not that I need his support though, because it's my body. But I said, he's super supportive. We've had big conversations. I've gone to therapy. I've done kind of the things that I feel I need to do to be mentally prepared to go like to go through this because it is a big change on somebody. I am taking away like my biological being able to have children. So obviously it's a conversation. It's something you need to process and work through and know that that's the right choice for you. So I explained this and he said, okay, well, what if, what if your husband got hit by a bus? What if you got hit by a bus and then you meet Joe and Joe wants you to have children and now you can't like have children. And I honestly, my face, I was like, what the actual, like, what the hell is happening here? The fact that you were even asking that should have been a red flag. Honestly, I look back and I should have been like, excuse me. But I was just like, well, I wouldn't be with Joe then. Now would I? Like, barely. So just another thing and why going back to it, a lot of women's health or people identifying as women it goes back to fertility always. And it's something that our rights as human beings to have a functioning life and to have something that allows us to function and not be in survival mode and not be in pain. We are the patient first and we should be taken at that. And our fertility is second. And yes, it is important to so many people and I'm not taking away from that. But us as human beings deserve to be worthy of care regardless of that. And that's something that I have seen and dealt with a lot. So we end up doing the hysterectomy. We do it. We go through it. It's fine. The first little bit afterwards, it's great. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I'm ready. It's like a whole new world. Like Little Mermaid, I think, says that. No, Aladdin. It's a whole new world. But then, so this was about five years ago, I went. So then I continue on. I'm like, okay, awesome. It's a new chance. Let's do this. And then pain starts again. And pain continues to happen, but different pain. Now I'm feeling pain in my whole body. It's all over. It's in ways that I have never experienced. And it's scary. When your body starts attacking itself in different ways, it's a scary feeling. So even myself, who has grown pretty immune to a lot of pain, was in a lot of pain. So I went to my family doctor, who at this point is a new family doctor. So my family doctor I had before delivered. My mother was our family doctor for four generations. So my great-great-grandparents who came over for Scotland, they had him as a family doctor. My papa, I miss him so much, but he actually did a campaign with the doctor where he was like in a photo. It was so cute because it was like, And then we were in a little photo to show all the generations with your family physician. Super cute. So anyways, I have had him my whole life. And that's all I really knew as a family doctor. So I have a new family doctor who I've only ever corresponded with on the phone because of COVID. So I finally have an appointment and I am so nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm like, oh my gosh. I said to my partner, I said to Justin, I said, I, I'm just nervous. I don't know. What's going to happen? I'm used to being dismissed or pushed over or 
it's nothing or take this pill or whatever. And I know, I knew in my body that there was something not right. I knew this and we know we have to listen to our gut because we know when our bodies are acting in ways that aren't our normal because everybody has their own version of normal. So I go in, I have this appointment, I'm sharing what's going on. And at this point I had written everything down and taking kind of a new approach than I would normally. So I shared everything. We talked. And let me tell you, I left that appointment crying. I called Justin crying, but for a very different reason. It is the first time I ever felt validated by a doctor. I'm not saying other doctors did not give me care or did not care for me and what I was going through. But the validation I felt And the way he handled the situation and put up an action plan to tell me the steps of this is what we're going to do first, and then we're going to do this, and then so on, to kind of lay out what the plan looks like, what tests he was going to do, why he was doing them, and letting me know. And I believe he actually said to me, I am so sorry you are experiencing this. It was just mind-blowing. I was literally physically in tears because I had never experienced that kind of care from a doctor before. And I will forever be grateful for him. He is still my family physician. So we go through all of these different things because there's things he wants to eliminate. He wants to see what's going on. And at the end of all of this, it ended up being fibromyalgia. So now I've got double endometriosis, fibromyalgia. Look at me go. I'm collecting chronic illnesses like Pokemon cards now. So that happens. And I realized, second diagnosis, I realized I had two options, really. I could continue doing what I'm doing, just kind of sweeping it under the rug, living my life, not really sharing, making sure it stays hidden. And, oh, nobody can know about my chronic illness because if they do, they're going to think I'm weak and not worthy and all of this because those were preconceived notions I had in my head. Or I can drastically change my life and learn how I can build my life around what I am living with. So unlike Barbie, where she's like, I will take the heel, I will take the heel, I ended up choosing the path that I hadn't gone before. I said, you know what? I am going to start treating my illness and recognizing it and realizing that this is not all of me. It's part of me but I can still live a life that I want to live and I am determined to live a life that I want to live and have goals and build a future, not in spite, but along with what I live with with my chronic illnesses. So I was on a mission. I was like, I'm doing this. And then something clicked in my brain. And I realized, I was like, oh my gosh. I know I always joke and say, okay, chronic illness, it's like a full-time job, like all the things you have to do, medical appointments, pills, treatments, you know, writing stuff down. And I was like, oh my gosh, it is a full-time job. It's totally a full-time job. And in organizations or full-time jobs, you have like a hierarchy. And I am giving myself the title right now that I am CEO of my chronic illness. I am in charge. I am in control. I'm in control of who is on my care team. I am in control with how this journey goes, what I'm going to be doing, how I'm going to be treating. And then I started doing that. I was like, okay, in work, any job that I have, I've always kind of been a little bit of a workaholic. Might be running away from my problems like my health. I was. And so I decided to start doing what I was doing and creating resources like I would in my job. 
because I am such a systems nerd. I was like, okay, I'm going to make a spreadsheet for this and I'm going to make documents and have everything super duper organized. I'm going to create templates for myself. So anytime I go to the doctor's appointment, I can just fill in the blanks and I'm going to really treat this like a full-time job. And instead of giving my energy to everybody else and pouring my cup out everywhere else, I'm going to actually pour into my own cup so that I have more to pour out. And holy shit, it changed my life. It literally changed my life. And not in a way that like, oh, you'll take this magic pill. It'll cure your endometriosis and your chronic illness. No. I always say, I feel like I say this at least once every episode. If somebody tells you they have the cure for your chronic illness, run away, run far, run fast. Because, and I will always say, I can help you learn to build your life around chronic illness. I can give you resources to help you be organized, manage your energy, and be able to really tap into what makes you happy. But I am not a magician. I'm not a scientist. I cannot make your chronic illness go away. So I started building all of these and I was like, holy shit, it literally changed my life. I started feeling like I was actually living again. I was making plans. I was prioritizing myself. I shared with the people in my life. I shared what I was going through. And for once, I was honest. I was honest with people and shared the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you know what's wild is it allowed these people in my life to show up for me because before they didn't know how are people going to show up for you? if they don't know what you're going through, right? They don't They don't know. So I shared. And now I live by that. If I'm having a bad day, I'm like, I'm in a flare. It sucks. I'm curled up on the couch. And I started honoring my body. So as I went through this journey, I realized I am one person. There are millions of people in North America, not to mention globally, experiencing chronic illness, chronic pain every day. I bet that these can help people. I bet these resources, these conversations, they can help people. And I knew I needed to do that. I couldn't gatekeep it. I needed to share it. And then I was like, I'm going to do this. I am going to dive in. And I was trying to think of names. So originally, my name, it was Chronically Ill Society was what I had called. So I was like, cool, it's kind of society. I wanted to change the look around it to not be sterile and boring. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be bright and colorful. So you look at it, it's that club nobody wants to be a part of, but it's the best people in there that you couldn't ask for better people and a space to make people feel less alone and to help them navigate this journey because there are so many tiers and levels and ups and downs it's like that ride at Canada's Wonderland where you're on the little roller coaster that the wooden one that goes and you're like trucking along. It's up and down, up and down. So that's what I did. So I started a chronically ill society, started the Instagram, started creating resources and everything. And then something, I was talking to one of my biz besties and we were talking about what I was going to name my course and everything. And we we're kind of talking and both of us, and I don't know how we landed on this, but we're like chronically fulfilled life. And it was something that we're like, okay, I like this. So I named the course, one of the courses I had, chronically fulfilled life. And then I realized this just, those words embodied what I want to help people do 
so much more. It allowed it to be more of a positive spin that you can set flare-friendly goals. You can still kick ass and be an entrepreneur while living with a chronic illness. You can be able to set those boundaries and do what you need to do. So by doing that, it just felt like it aligned so much more. And then I started going down with it and working with clients and to see the results that they were having and the impact it was making. It, it just touched me in such a different way that I never thought. And I truly felt aligned for the first time in my life. I was like, this, this is what I am meant to do. And I was like, how can I get this out to more people? How can I share it in a way that works for me? Because I, if you don't tell already, I like to talk. I like to talk. And that is my way that I can share. And actually somebody I was on a call with not too long ago was like, what is your human design? And so they were like looking into it. Their specialty is human design. And they said, it's because your voice is one of your strongest I think pathways, I think she said, pathways. And I was like, oh, I'm very interested in that stuff. So I always love to learn. Um, but, and that's what kind of led me here today. And I am on a freaking mission to help people with chronic illness build a life that they freaking love, that they love, that allows them to create goals that are aligned with their chronic illness and allow for that room, allow for you to have a flair and that doesn't completely derail you. It's a part of the journey. Allow you to go into a doctor's appointment, be able to advocate for yourself, to feel confident, to feel prepared, to take ownership, track your pain and symptoms and really take ownership of your health journey because there is a way to live a life that you love to take you out of survival mode. And I know, I know when you're in that, if you are there right now, it is a shitty place to be. And it feels like there is no escape. It feels like this is your normal that you're going to live in forever. But I promise you, you can get to the other side where you may not be pain-free, but you can still live a life that you love and that lights you up and that you look forward to things and is built around your chronic illness. P.S. I am not leaving you hanging, I promise. But as I was thinking and as I was talking, navigating relationships, dating with a chronic illness, and navigating your every day today in a relationship is a whole other thing that I don't want to just do a quick, you know, two or three minutes. I want to dive into that because I think it's such an important topic. So I'm going to dedicate an episode to that, to my own personal experience dating with chronic illness, to my relationship now, and some tips on how to navigate that in your own life. I am so grateful you are here with me because having everybody together sharing their stories, sharing tips and strategies on how they are building lives they love around chronic illness is truly powerful because one of my missions is that no chronic illness warrior feels alone. And that is one of my big things with this podcast. So thank you for being here and get ready because Chronically Fulfilled Life Podcast is going to be sharing so many different ways for you to build a life you freaking love around your chronic illness. So get ready. We are going to be sharing some pretty awesome stuff on this podcast, not only myself sharing tips and strategies and systems on how to build a life you love while living with chronic illness, but I'm going to be having on 
some incredible experts that are sharing their knowledge and sharing how they have built a life they love around their chronic illness, sharing ways that you can implement different systems, that you can look at your whole life as a whole. We are going to be diving into all of those parts. Let me tell you, we are diving into finances, relationships, your fun things that you do, relationships with friends, with family. We are going to be diving into work, entrepreneurship. We are diving into all of it. And I can't wait for you to continue to join us. So thank you for listening. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for joining us and listening to this episode. If this episode inspired you or you connected with it, we would love to hear from you. Can you do us a favor? Take just two minutes to leave us a review. Your words can make the world of a difference on our podcast journey. We genuinely appreciate your support. Hit that subscribe button and click the plus sign at the top to follow us. That way, you'll be the first to know when a new episode drops. Trust me, you won't want to miss the exciting content we have in store. Remember, you are not alone on this journey. Until next time, sending you love, hugs, and all the spoons.